Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together. JD Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For JD Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com/awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome to the Karma You podcast. This is the place to be to become your calmest, happiest and most confident self. I'm your host, Chloe Brotheridge, hypnotherapist and coach, and I'm the author of The Anxiety Solution and Brave New Girl. So today I'm talking to Mike Viking, who is the author of the new book, The Art of Making Memories. And you might have heard of a couple of his other books, including the New York Times bestsellers, the little book of Hooger and the little book of Looker. So Mike is one of today's most influential happiness researchers. He's been called the Indiana Jones of smiles and probably the world's happiest man by the times. And his latest book, The Art of Making Memories, is about the importance of memories on our health and well-being and how we can create more happy moments in the future. And we get into what the ingredients for happy memories are. We talk about his techniques and how they could help with depression. And we get into Mike's top tips for happiness. And he is really the expert in this field. So I absolutely loved this conversation. There were loads of things that I'm gonna be incorporating into my life following this chat that we had. And I hope you like it. So if you would like to hear about the latest podcast episodes and also receive a free anxiety toolkit from me, which includes a hypnotherapy MP3 affirmations and worksheets, you can head on over to karmau.com forward slash free, pop your details in there and I'll send over all of those freebies. So let's get into the episode with Mike Viking. This episode is sponsored by Chloris CBD oil. Everyone in the anxiety world is talking about CBD oil, but if you don't know what it is, CBD is a non-psychoactive compound found in cannabis and it's used as a food supplement with promising evidence that it actually helps to calm anxiety. One study found that it reduced anxiety during public speaking, and the link to this is in the show notes, and it's also believed that CBD oil could help manage pain, such as period pain, by reducing inflammation. I've been taking Chloris CBD for the past few months to help with period pain and PMS, and I think it really helps. 
I love that Chloris take great care to source the best quality CBD, only using the finest organically derived natural ingredients and they rigorously test their products for contaminants. And most CBD brands don't do this. CBD isn't a miracle cure for anxiety, but it could be really useful as a food supplement to include in your routine and I love using it. Get 10% off Chloris CBD oil when you enter the code KARMAYOU at chloriscbd.com. That's K-L-O-R-I-S-C-B-D.com. So welcome, Mike. Thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. Uh, how are you today? I am I am well. I'm well, thanks. Good. How good. are you? I'm good. I'm in a really good mood today, actually, which is appropriate for the, the conversation we're having today. Can you share a little bit about what you do and how you got to where you are today? Yes. So I work at something called the Happiness Research Institute in Copenhagen. And uh, all our work and my career is essentially dedicated to answering three questions. I try to understand how can we actually measure something as intangible and subjective as happiness or the good life. Secondly, why is it that some people are happier than others? And thirdly, what can we do to improve quality of life? How can we design our cities differently, our workplaces differently, our policies differently, and, and basically our lives differently? And I started noticing back in 2012 how much was happening with happiness research and happiness and politics because at the time you know the UN had published uh, or decided on a happiness resolution and also started to to commission uh, the world happiness report and you had different governments looking at well-being as a new measure of progress i also know david cameron here in the uk he said oh well instead of just looking at whether we get richer we should also see whether people get happier and I thought there's a lot happening with happiness and politics and happiness uh, research. There should be somebody in Denmark looking at this from a scientific point of view. Somebody should create a, a think tank, a knowledge center around this field. Somebody should look into why is it that Denmark often do well in these happiness rankings. And then I thought maybe I should do that. Um, but this was also, uh, you know, it... it, it this was 2012, so just in the wake of the financial crisis, and I had a, a, a steady job, and I thought, oh, it's also going to be a little bit risky uh, to start something as crazy as a happiness research institute. Um, but then the, the personal side of the story was that my uh, mentor at the company I was working for, who I really looked up to in, in many ways, he unfortunately uh, died um, um, when he was uh, 49. And many years ago, my own mother had also died when she was 49. So I naturally started to to sort of reflect on what if I only lived to see 49? You know, what should I spend those years I have left doing? And I thought I can continue with this job I have and it's fine, but I'm not super passionate about it. Or I can try and see where this Happiness Research Institute thing could lead me. And I just sensed that there was a lot of, of passion in that field for me, I was I was laying awake at night thinking about all the different things you could you could do within happiness research and how you could try and study it. And then I essentially just quit and started out with uh, what I thought was a, a good idea and a bad laptop. Uh, that was yeah six six years ago. So yeah, yeah. Brilliant, brilliant. I don't think there's any more important topic than happiness. Actually, if you if you ask people what they want, you know they might say, oh, I want more money, or I want this or that but actually what they really want is happiness right. that's kind of at the end of the day what people want yeah. so it's a good area to be working in important. i enjoyed i think i mean it is the most important question we can try and 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 
answer, I think, and, and you're completely right, it's it's the end reason, right? Why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? It always ends with because I think that will make me happier or happy. Uh, and it's also, it's an ancient question, right? Aristotle tried to answer some of the same questions I'm trying to, to answer. Uh, so it's it's a common universal uh, human um, pursuit, I think. Do, do you have a definition of happiness? Because is it one of those things that is different for everyone? Like um, everyone describes it in a different way? Or? Well, I mean, to some extent, yes, it's, it's somewhat different uh, from person to person. But so are a lot of things, right? You know, what is beauty? What is what is good manners? What is what is good management? Um, what is sadness? What is loneliness? That's also different from from person to person, I would say. And I don't think it should be more difficult to study a positive emotion compared to a negative emotion. Um, but it is a wide term. I mean, you and I, we have different perceptions of what happiness is, what what the good life uh, might be, um, but. I think we make it harder than it is uh, saying that oh, happiness cannot be, be studied uh, because we just break it down and then look at the different components. Um, and also, if we talked about you know the, the, the British economy, how is that doing? We would look at, at growth. We would look at how is the pound doing, you know, unemployment rate, inflation rate, uh, GDP per capita. And that gives us language to talk about how is the UK economy doing? Uh, and that's also what we need to do with, with happiness, I think. Break it down, look at different components. So we look at what kind of emotions do people experience on a daily basis, both positive and negative ones. We also look at uh, whether they're satisfied overall with life. We look at whether they have a sense of purpose, a sense of meaning in life. I think all of those ingredients are part of a dish called happiness. It's, it's, it's a full plate full of both uh, pleasure and, uh, and purpose. Absolutely, yeah. Um, I loved your latest book. It's called The Art of Making Memories. And just reading through it, I could I was starting to have conversations with people about <laughs> memories and reminiscing <laughs> with my partner about things. Can you tell us a little bit about the book? Yes. So it's actually an attempt to answer some of the questions I mentioned before. Uh, why are some people happier than others and how can we increase happiness? And I can see that um, people who are able to retrieve happy memories, people who are able to form a positive narrative about their life are on average happier. Um, so naturally, I hope that people, you know, we can help people make more happy memories in the future and be, be better at holding on uh, to them and retrieving them. And, and it came, the inspiration for the book came, uh, this was a year and a half ago. I turned uh, 40. And uh, that means, statistically speaking, in Denmark, uh, I have lived half my life because then in, in Denmark, men live on average till we're 80. So I reflected looking back, okay, my first 40 years, my first half, what were my happiest moments in, in that part and, and what are my happiest memories and how can I use that knowledge going forward and create happy uh, memories in the future? That's such an important thing to, to reflect on and actually something I hadn't really about that much i think a lot of us we don't spend enough time asking ourselves these questions or right. actually create like consciously creating more of those happy kind of memories yeah. and, and looking back so that we can do that better exactly i think i think i've been one of those thinking that our oh, memory was something random something unconscious something spontaneous something that just happens whereas researching the book i've come to appreciate that 
okay, there's actually something I can do to some extent influence what I and my family and friends remember. There's actually some control over who or what our future selves will think back on. And you actually did a study, the Happy Memory Study, where you got yeah, was it a thousand people? More than a thousand yeah. people from more than seventy-five different countries. So from Norway and Nepal and uh, New Zealand, we 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 I think we have the biggest global collection of happy memories. And I'll I'll give you an example. So so there was a, a British uh, woman in her thirties who decides to go to the beach with her family and they have this um, they have this dream of cooking a breakfast on the beach. And they go out there and it's cold, it's windy, uh, they can't seem to get the fire going and they end up on this cold, windy beach eating horrendous food uh, but she, and it's half-cooked porridge. Uh, but she says it was on rivaled family time. It's one of her fondest memories. And they're sitting there under these big blankets and it's a really bonding experience for them as a family. Um, so so that's one uh, example of, of one of the happy memories we, we collected. But it's, it's, it's surprisingly something that, you know, every memory I read was something I could relate to. I, I get it why that memory was a happy memory from from that person uh, it could be the the british lady uh, i just uh, talked about or you know an iraqi man who was about my age but remembers back from a time he was eight and he bought a toy with his own money for the first time i also get why that sense of accomplishment is uh, something that is is still treasured today so potentially hearing about other people's happy memories could trigger your own mm. happy memories as mm. well when you reminisce about, oh, yeah, there was right. a time on the beach when I was with my exactly. friends. And, exactly. Yeah, that's really lovely. And, and that's how memory work. Uh, it works often by association. You hear a word, you see something, you smell something, you taste something, you hear a track from 1984, uh, and then suddenly you are transported back to that time. Um, so, so that's also something to keep in mind and something we can use actively when we want to either remember stuff in the future or retrieve happy memories. Find uh, those memory triggers that can bring, hopefully, a happy memory back to service. In, in the book, you talk about ingredients for happy memories. Are there certain ingredients that have to, to be there, do you think? I think that there's one that has to be there and there are some that can be there and will help us so i think the one that has to be there is very simply attention so obviously if we're not paying attention to what is happening we are not going to remember it and i'll give you an example of of how that can work Uh, a couple of weeks ago i spoke to a a polish uh, woman who had read the book and she thought back to a time when she was about um, eight and she's having dinner with her mom and her sister, and they're having this colorful uh, Polish dish, and they have yellow uh, flowers on the table, and, and they're having a good time, they're laughing, they're feeling happy. And her mother says, I hope you remember this moment. And here we are, 30 years later, she still remembers that moment because her mother made her pay attention to it. So it's, it's, it's a really powerful tool, it's a powerful ingredient. Of course, it can also be overused, 
in that sense it's like salt you know if you every day you sit down with your kids say i hope you remember this moment it's going to be like yeah shut up dad <laughs> you say that every night um but but using it in the right uh, dosage uh, seems seems to be a, a really good strategy but it's also ingredients like first time experiences we are more likely to remember new and novel experiences it's using our different senses in Uh, our memories, not just seeing as stuff, but also noticing how things taste, how things sound, how things smell. Um, that's something Andy Warhol was really good at, uh, so the uh, the pop artist. Uh, he uh, would uh, change the perfume he wore every three months. So even though he, he would like to, to keep wearing it, he gave it up and found a new perfume. And that meant that over time he had created this um, this museum of scent or museum of memories. So he could go back in time. He would say, "Okay, now I want to go back to uh, 1982, the spring." And then he took uh, that perfume he wore at that time and took a good whiff of that, and that would help him reminiscence uh, about that period in his life. It's amazing, isn't it, how scent and memory can be really linked? We've all got a. Right. And al- a type of alcohol, for me, it's tequila that will remind us of a horrible ex-boyfriend or a terrible time in our lives yeah, or yeah. the smell of grass you yeah. know, reminds us of the summer holidays. And that is just a phenomenon that our, our minds can link that together. So exactly. And the more that. unique that scent and link to memory is, the, the better. So I've had coffee many, many times. I'm having coffee right now. And that scent doesn't necessarily trigger any particular memory because it's attached to so many different memories. But if I smell uh, dried seaweed, now that's going to take me back to a summer a uh, year ago when I was sitting on a warm rock after being out spearfishing in a very cold uh, sea and just sitting on that rock, feeling really happy, uh, paying attention to the moment and saying, what can I do to hold on to this moment? And there was a patch of dried seaweed, so I took a good whiff of that. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Um, I suppose it's a good it's a thing to remember that so often we're not present or aware in our lives and how we might be really missing. I mean, it's kind of obvious to say that we're missing out on our happiness and missing out on those happy memories because we're not present a lot of the time. So it's another reminder for all of us to be more present, I think. Okay, so a bit of a contentious issue. Do dogs make people happier than cats? <laughs> I read this so, and I thought, oh, some people are going to be upset. So, uh, yeah, I know these are divisive times. Um, so, so, listen, what we saw when we were looking through these happy memories and looking at the patterns, uh, we did notice that far more people mention their dog than their cat. And of course, different theories explain that. It can mean that, okay, maybe more people have dogs than cats, and naturally they are more likely to appear in people's happy memories. Second theory is that dogs are just awesome, awesome creatures, and they do bring a lot of <laughs> happiness, and I, I I must confess that I slightly support that theory. Okay. <laughs> maybe as well, because your dog goes everywhere with you. Right. You can't just leave your dog yeah. at home and yeah. go to the beach. It's going to be there with you, so maybe that would make a difference. But I, yeah, I have to say... Dogs maybe do have more of an impact on people's lives. More of a people get more like obsessive about their dogs than their cats. <laughs> it's definitely true. Um, can you explain what episodic, and I hope I'm saying that right, mm-hmm. memory is? Mm-hmm. Yes. What is that? So we have different types of long-term memory. Um, so you will, you know, remember. Um, you will know what is the capital of France. Okay, that's Paris. 
Um, but we don't have any necessarily recollection, recollection of when we actually acquired that fact. So it's a fact about the world that we share with the world, but it doesn't have any taste, it doesn't have a sound, it doesn't have any texture. But if I said, you know, um, can you remember your trip to Paris, if you have been to Paris? Now, that's a very different kind of memory. Um, it will have sounds, it will have experience, it will perhaps have a taste, um, and you can travel back in time and sort of re-experience your uh, trip to Paris. So, semantic knowledge is knowledge you have about the world. Uh, episodic memory is um, your experience in that world, and it's it's unique for you. Okay, so it's a, a totally different type of memory, and we have to actually go and kind of relive the memory in order to I mean it's, it's something we, we can that. do we have this fascinating time traveling uh, opportunity uh, we can travel back in time uh, I, a few minutes ago I traveled back in time to to the summer before last and sitting on a warm rock overlooking the the cold ocean with a couple of flounders by my side um, that that's an opportunity I can go back in time and re-experience some of the joy I had there. And that's also what we see when people engage in nostalgic activity. They often do that when they're lonely or when they uh, feel a little bit down down, uh, or when they sort of lack purpose in life. So nostalgic uh, activity means that we go back in time and revisit uh, an experience where we felt a sense of connection with other people, perhaps a sense of meaning with it all. Uh, so it counteracts uh, loneliness uh, in that way. So it's, it's a super nice uh, ability to have to travel in time. It's, of course, also something we use to travel forward in time because a lot of our um, projections about the future, a lot of our hopes and dreams for the future are also based on what did we experience in the past. Uh, so in that sense, it's, it's, a, it's a really neat uh, DeLorean that can bring us back and forth in time amazing how our minds can time travel. I was thinking about nostalgia the other day because I went home to visit my parents and I was at home for maybe a week or so mm. and seeing all the, the the people in the community where I grew up that I used to see all the time, the buildings, the, the woods that I used to play and the tree that we used to climb at school. Right. And I guess it, I guess this feeling was nostalgia, but it was almost like a slightly sad feeling. It was kind of mm. wistful, beautiful, mm. slightly sad. Is that nostalgia right. or is that something else? That kind of slight sadness. I think I think that's nostalgia. Okay. I think it's 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 a sense of happiness, a sense of joy, a sense of um, happier times, but also the sadness of having lost that time that it's past. Um, so, you know, nostalgia, it's an, it's an ancient emotion. Uh, it's longing for something that is gone. Um, but, I mean, we did experience that. We did experience that love. We did experience that happiness. And, you know, it might be gone, but we should still be appreciative that it did happen in the first place, I think. Mm. So would you encourage people to, to go down... That nostalgic route I mean, and, and I, think about I, I, their childhood. I think it's I think it's it's a really fun experience. And um, one of the things I, I enjoyed uh, researching this book was was uh, was going down memory lane, either my own or actually asking um, my dad to take uh, me down his memory lane. So he spent his youth in uh, the town of Aarhus uh, in Denmark, and, and uh, this, was the, uh, this was the late 60s, and he worked in the advertising industry. And I asked him to, to show me Aarhus and show me the places he had lived and worked and, and gotten drunk. 
And we just spent a lovely afternoon going around Aarhus, seeing the places, and, and that made those stories come alive. It's also a way to remember stuff, because if you are at the place, like you visited your, your, uh, your childhood uh, town, you, know, you see those places where you were, and that will trigger memories of those times. Um, and that is something called the encoding specificity principle. But what, what it just is, is it's, it's what, like when the police, they bring a witness to the scene of the crime because it will help them remember what happened. So if you go down uh, memory lane, go to places where you suspect you have had happy times, or well, there will be something that resurface because you will notice something and that will trigger uh, a happy memory. This episode is made possible by Dorset Cereals. Dorset Cereals believe that pleasure comes from the simple things in life and that moments need to be savoured, especially since life is so busy. And I totally agree. This all begins at breakfast time. So instead of rushing through breakfast or skipping it all together, why not slow down and enjoy every moment? Enjoy a breakfast on the slow and you'll be taking the first steps to a better day. All their delicious mueslis are vegan and high fibre, and the ultimate muesli range doesn't contain any added sugar. I personally love their luscious berry and cherry muesli, well worth getting up a bit earlier to have time to savour. So now there are even more reasons to enjoy a calm moment at breakfast with Dorset Cereals. Take a look at dorsetcereals.co.uk to explore the range and discover how to be a little more Dorset. One thing I was interested in that you wrote about was about um, depression and happy memories and mm. how you know can people who are experiencing depression kind of use this to, to help themselves and if there are there challenges that come along with that right there is i mean we see that people who are struggling with depression one of the challenges is of course that we're not feeling very happy right now uh, but also actually having trouble remembering any time we were happy at all um, so, so people with depression might struggle with remembering happy past events in their life. So um, there has been a few studies on this, one of them in the UK, where the researchers first helped participants all struggling with depression um, remember 15 happy moments in their lives. And that was actually quite difficult for some of the participants. They would say, I don't have 15 happy memories. But the researchers worked with the group and helped them flesh out uh, some of these happy memories, making them more vivid and you know what happened and what did it sound like, what did it taste like, and so on. Um, and then they, they conducted uh, an experiment where they tried to give them tools where they could, when they needed it most to remember those happy times, retrieve those happy uh, experiences. And one of those methods was called or is called the Loki method. And some some of you might be familiar with that. It's also uh, called the, the memory palace. And the principle is that you place what you need to remember, whether that's happy memories or the grocery list uh, for the supermarket, on a familiar route. It could be uh, your route from, from home to work, or it could all be, also be specific places in your childhood home. A lot of or people will, will remember their childhood home quite uh, vividly and detailed. Um, and then you place a happy memory uh, along that route. Now, if it was me, uh, you know, my, my memory palace is also my childhood home. Uh, and one of the places on that route or in that home is, is the golden Volkswagen, Volkswagen 
beetle we uh, we had, and that would be outside the house. So if I was to place something in there, it could be the happy memory of me sitting on that warm rock with with the fish. So I would imagine myself in that car with you know fish and on a rock, and you know, it smells because it's inside a car and so on. And it's it's a quite rich picture, uh, and it's weird there are fish in the car and so on. Um, and now if I was to try and retrieve happy memories, say two months from now, it's easier for me to go through that route and then think of the Volkswagen Beetle and then say, okay, yeah, that's right. It was with the fish and I was sitting on that rock and I was feeling really happy. Anyways, the, the study showed that people who used the Loki method had a far better likelihood of retrieving happy memories when they were later phoned up by the researchers and asked to uh, to recall those 15 happy memories. So I think there is something we can do. Uh, I think there are tools in our memory uh, that can be used in, in, in terms of, of helping people uh, struggling with depression. So you're choosing a place, somewhere like your childhood home, and then in different places in that place, you're putting the memories and kind of creating an image that associates yes. it with that. The visualization yeah. is really important. And try and create a, a, a you know, close your eyes and, and create an image and, and consider what would happen if you combine that room with, with that experience. Um, it's something that, that, that works quite well in, in different contexts. I love that idea. What about food? Because... I noticed that you wrote in your book about how we can almost use food to to create happy memories or recall happy memories. Yes. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, <laughs> so because every scent uh, plays a part in 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 our memories, uh, taste uh, or or scent is um, is is one of the ways we can use to to trigger our, our memories. So one thing could be to create a memory dish. So if you've had a, a happy memory, um, you can create a dish that should, of course, be called something that will you know, make your mind trigger uh, and, and remember that uh, happy memory. And then when you have this dish, you know, you'll talk about that event and your reminiscence about that event. Uh, so, so it'll be something that is attached to a, a happy moment. It can also be to use food as gaining um, new experiences. So we can see that a lot of people experience the feeling that life seems to speed up as we get older. Uh, and one of the reasons for that is that when we're 15 and 21, we had a lot of we have a lot of new experiences. So first kiss and moving out, first apartment, uh, first car perhaps. Whereas you know in people's 30s and 40s and 50s, there's there's more uh, seldom a, a new experience. And a new experience doesn't only have to be going to some exotic place across uh, the globe. It can also just be a new experience in, in a food or a gastronomical uh, sense. So trying out new ingredients uh, could also be a way we can have uh, more extraordinary days. That's something I think about a lot, about how we can try and make life slow down because I don't want life to get quicker the older right. I get. Yeah. So trying new things, it doesn't need to be going to a totally new country. It could be really simple things like, oh, I haven't had Jerusalem artichokes before. I'm going to cook exactly. with that. Or... Exactly, yeah. And I um, I was reflecting on this this morning because a conversation that I quite often have with my partner is, and we're, we're, we're quite into food, like what are our five, what are our best desserts that we've ever had? Let's <laughs> list them. <laughs> and which, which one came in top? Um, so there was a tiramisu in Rome. Oh. And I remember at the time we, we shared one and I still kick myself today, like why did we not get one each? Why did we not get one each? <laughs> 
So, yeah, so that's something we can be doing okay. to sort of reflect on. And then today that. when you have tiramisu, are you, are you then reminded of, of that experience in I Rome? do think about yeah, it and it's, right? it's usually not as good as the, the Rome one. So, <laughs> yeah, but no, I, I, I do smile when I think about that, definitely. <laughs> um, and a lot of the things that you're talking about um, resonate because I'm, I'm a hypnotherapist and when we're, we're getting the subconscious mind to take on board a message, it's really about... Um, using um, all the senses mm. and so if you want to imagine I don't know if someone wants to become more confident or more calm using all their senses to imagine what that would be like to be really confident and calm right and I think that's what you talk about in your book about how to really engage the senses so that we remember it more yeah is that right yeah and I think we we have a tendency to focus perhaps too much on sight um, and we take a lot of photos of things we experience but I think especially if you're keeping a journal, it's also interesting to to notice and write down, you know, what did it sound like? What did it feel like? Uh, what did it smell like? And and I remember one of the happy memories we, we collected was from uh, an American in his 50s who spent uh, six weeks uh, on a beach together with his partner and they're, they're bird watching. And he's just really good at describing... Um, you know the warmth of the sun, the warmth of the sand, uh, the roaring of the ocean, and and sort of all the different sensory uh, impressions. And I think that's definitely something we we can learn from that. Okay, yeah. So, so yeah, tuning into all those details are going to make it more more visceral, more more likely to remember it, more likely to generate those good feelings again. Um, I did want to ask you about digital detoxes because I think this is probably something that. A lot of people listening may potentially need to do, myself included. You mentioned this in your book about about why that might be important. What, why do you think that's important for people? I think it's important because, coming back to what we talked about in the beginning, that the importance of attention. So if we're not paying attention to something, we are less likely uh, to remember it in the future. Uh, and we can also see a lot of the happy memories we collected uh, were actually from... Uh, evenings or weekends where people were without their phones. Uh, there was one, I think this was a, a Mexican dad who remembered uh, a blackout and they had to bring out uh, candles to get uh, lighting in the room and they spent the evening as a family talking about some of their favorite memories and some of their favorite uh, family anecdotes and now that's a really nice memory uh, of his. Um, so, so, so I think it can undermine our attention that said, it can also uh, be a way to um, to retrieve memories in the future. If we take a lot of photos, and, and myself included, a lot of us do that, um, it can also be something that can help us remember things in the future. But um, if people post on, on social media, I think perhaps it could be quite liberating for some to have a personal private social media account that only you can access. So instead of worrying about, you know, how will this be perceived? What's the right caption to write to this picture? Just post pictures of your everyday. Uh, because in 10 years from now, then you can go through that, only you, and there's going to be something in there that will help you remind you of of, of uh, your your memories. So that that's something you can do. So would that, would that be creating a like a 
Instagram account that only you can see that exactly. you can look back on. That's a really good exactly. idea. I and, like that. And and I'll I'll give you another one. Uh, hopefully you'll like that one too. Is is to curate um, the happy ten or the happy hundred. So you have thousands of pictures on your off on your phone, um, but we perhaps. We don't look at them the same way we looked at family albums back in the 80s and 90s where you printed out photos. So my suggestion in the book is once a year, either for yourself or together with your family or partner um, or friends, uh, curate the happy hundred or happy ten. So go through your photos and then talk about and decide which were actually our happiest moments in the past year. It might be uh, the tir- tiramisu in, 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 in Rome. It might be other things. Uh, and and get those photos printed out and put in an old school photo album and say, okay, these are, are some of the happiest moments in, in 2019. It also, I think, is a good exercise to get insight in your loved ones and friends. What are their views on which were, were happiest times? And, and if you spend them together, uh, it will also remind you of, of hopefully some, some really lovely days. I'm definitely going to do that. I'm definitely going to do that. I've got loads of photos on my old laptop that is the screen's broken, but I need to take. I'm going to get the photos off and do that. I think that's a lovely idea. Um, do you have any other? Is there any other tip about on happiness that you think it's you know really important for people to know? Um, I think I think there's a lot, but I think. Perhaps it's also important for me to underline as a happiness researcher that you know unhappiness is also part of life. Uh, that you know uh, the human experience is not just about happiness. It is also about loneliness and sadness, and and that's that's part of the human life. Uh, so so I think what we're trying to do with the Happiness Research Institute is not say you should be always happy all the time. I don't think that's possible. And there's a reason why we might be unhappy from time to time. What we should try and do is create to create the best possible for conditions for people to flourish um, through policies, through our cities, through our workplaces, through how we organize our, our lives and, and social lives. Uh, but, I mean, I don't think we're going to get to a place where we achieve being happy ever after. Uh, and uh, I, I think that's important to underline that that we we are humans. We experience positive and negative emotions, and 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 that's part of the package. I think that's a good reminder for everyone who maybe beats themselves up about not being happy because right. it's easy to go down that path of you know I've you know I've ticked all these boxes in life. Why right. am I happy? I should be happier. I shouldn't be feeling this way. But actually, to know that all all emotions are normal and. Right. We can't be happy all the time. It's exactly. impossible. Exactly. And also, I remember one psychologist uh, said to me at one point, maybe our brain aren't designed to be happy. Um, we're human beings. We have great design in terms of how to survive on this earth. Um, but maybe we're not designed to be happy all the time because it's also what have brought us forward uh, as a human, uh, human race. Uh, to sort of constantly uh, challenge the the status quo and and constantly feel we need to to raise the bar uh, in order to be happy. I heard I heard someone say once, your brain is designed to keep you safe, not make you happy. Yeah, which yeah. is which yeah. anxiety sufferers will definitely relate yes. to. <laughs> um, what about I know that you used to work in sustainability, and this 
might be a bit of a challenging question. I don't know if there's necessarily an answer to this, but you know, as we as the world is changing, our climate is changing. Um, how do you see you know what we focus on in terms of happiness changing, or do you think there will be more of a focus on that in at a policy level and going forward? I think I think there's going to be a bigger focus on mental health in the future. I think we are hopefully going to return to the original definition of health that that, uh, the World Health Organization said back in the 40s, and that is that health is not just the absence of disease, but it's physical, mental, and social well-being. And I see trends towards that. Uh, I'm really encouraged now, for instance, by New Zealand. Uh, Recently, their uh, government uh, passed a well-being budget, and now uh, bids for the budget has to come attached with, as I understand it, an assessment on how is this going to improve quality of life. And we do see at the national level, governments looking at new measures of progress, uh, challenging whether we should just focus on the GDP or perhaps also look at are we improving quality of life. Um, and I think, coming back to, to your question about sort of sustainability, I think there is a lot of overlap actually for those two agendas. Um, I think if we design our cities so they are more sustainable, they will also be more livable. I think if we design our way of consumption, our working life, uh, to something that is more sustainable, uh, both for the environment and for ourselves, uh, that is always also going to lead to an increase in quality of life. Um, so I think that the the two agendas are actually closer uh, than, than we immediately think. So what's good for the planet is good for us as Basically, well. Basically, yes. Basically. Yeah. <laughs> oh, amazing. Thank you so much for sharing everything that you shared. Where can people find out more about you? Well, so there's the the Happiness Research Institute dot uh, com uh, website. Ob- obviously, there's uh, the books uh, if people want to dive into uh, to either Happy Memories or some of my my previous books, uh, the Little Book of Lüge and the Little Book of uh, Hugo, uh, and now the the recent uh, the Art of Making Memories, and that should be available in in uh, online stores and offline. Brilliant. And I definitely recommend people check that out. It's really inspiring and really gets you thinking about what's most important in life. So, yeah, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. I really hope that you gained a lot from this episode. Come on over to Instagram and let me know what are you taking from this episode. Find me at Chloe Brotheridge. And I would love it if you would leave me a review in the podcast app or in itunes subscribe to the podcast leave me a rating and is there someone in your life that would really benefit from this podcast you can let them know by sharing this podcast i'd be so so grateful so i'm just wishing you a wonderful week ahead sending you loads of love hopefully you'll tune in again and i'll see you soon hey it's Paige desorbo from giggly squad high quality fashion without the price tag say hello to quince I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowl and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowl and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.